Hello and welcome back to Aspen Talks Health. I am Dr. Nicola and part of my mission with Aspen Talks Health is to talk about how to show up more compassionately and how to shift this humanity towards a more compassionate way of living. And I believe the way that we do that, the foundation of that is to be more loving with ourselves and with the people that are in our lives. And so today's guest is the beautiful Dr. Perrin Elisha. She is a psychologist and she's here to talk to us about how our past dictates how we make our choices uh, relationship-wise and who we choose as a partner and how we can shift that and also how we can become an extraordinary partner ourselves. So welcome to the show, Dr. Perrin. Thank you, Nicola. Very grateful to have you. So let's, um, let's just dive in. And, and so my my history, and I have a feeling that sometimes you recreate your childhood, mm -hmm. and so the people that you bring into your life so will recreate that scenario so that you have an opportunity maybe for your soul to evolve. Mm -hmm. um, but this often shows up with your relationships and the partner that you pick. Yes. Uh, correct? And so um, I have a girlfriend that was just telling me yesterday about how she has a tendency to pick avoidant men, that men that are emotionally completely unavailable. Mm -hmm. And it was because maybe her mother was emotionally unavailable. Mm -hmm. And in, in my case, um, the men, my mother's uh, husband came and went, and, and so I had that experience of men leave. Mm -hmm. um, so how do I shift that? How do I not choose those partners and okay. or is it essential that I do so that my soul evolves? <laughs> no, not necessarily. That's the good news. So what the main thing that you or any of us need to understand is the connection between our conscious and our unconscious mind. And the reason for that is that in our early attachment history, our brain is literally wired to lay down these blueprints, these templates for what we expect is going to happen. Mm -hmm. We build our self-identity there. We build our, our concept of the other in a romantic relationship. As a woman, you're, you're template for what, what men are, what do they think, what do they do, what do you expect from them. And then you have a template about relationships, what are relationships for, how do they work, what causes what. And those are necessarily neurologically more or less unconscious and or subconscious. Right. So if you want to shift those patterns, you really have to, do, to make that axis of connection between that rational conscious mind and the unconscious mind. Ooh. And How do you do that? The, um, I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> okay. But the beauty of that is, um, and we know this from quantum physics, something that's observed in itself starts to evolve and change. So when you do that work of just reflecting on the blueprint and where it comes from, you automatically have created an evolution. Something nice. starts to shift. And then you have to work with that, of course. Um, you have to be aware, not just of the facts, like you said. I mean, a lot of people can get frustrated. It's like, well, I know, you know there's this avoidant man uh, pattern, but it's not enough just to, know, to see the facts of that. What we really have to get at is the meaning that we made of it in our unconscious mind. Hmm. And when we really start to get the meaning and the beliefs that we developed around it, then we can sort of modify those beliefs into healthy functional beliefs, that's when you start to see the flexibility and who you're actually drawn to and how you show up and what you create. Interesting. So the beliefs maybe that I created was that, uh, could it be sourced in, I, I'm, it, it's not always, it, unconsciously that I'm not good enough so the man will leave? That or could be. Is now this is where it's subtle and, and where it's personal. Yes, absolutely, that'd be a prime example. Now whether that's your truly your belief, 
really takes some fine-tuned attention to really get at, okay, what did you take from that experience? Did mm. you believe children? As children, we do make it all about us. So when good things happen, we assume we're great, we're worthwhile, we're, our love is powerful, and we create good things. Um, when negative things happen, we do tend to, that's the, the first place it goes, I'm not good enough, or my love isn't good enough, or I don't deserve, or I don't get what I need. Yeah. Um, but it really is important. It's it's personal. The devil's in the details. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, where, where there's some misunderstandings. It's not enough just to see these broad patterns. You really have to get in touch with emotionally, what did that mean to you? Yeah. And so to kind of to get back to your question earlier, how do you develop that connection? Um, emotion is really important. It's not through the facts, the, the linear mind, the logical mind, right. that connection. That's why dreams are so powerful as a means mm. to get into the unconscious, because the dreams are like a story that your unconscious mind has painted. And in, when we're dreaming, our mind is literally sort of digesting that information, that material, and making sense of it. Right. So if you can capture bits of your dreams, it's like a window into what your unconscious mind is doing. And emotions are usually pretty vivid in dreams in a way that we filter out consciously through our defenses and all our conditioning. We filter that out. So dreams are probably the, the, the royal road, as Freud called it, to the unconscious, because it's such an honest picture straight from the unconscious. Huh. Um, your emotions are a fantastic uh, road to the unconscious and a therapeutic relationship. Um, at least somebody with the, this kind of orientation who's sort of trained to look for the, the ways the unconscious show up through emotion, through patterns of behavior, through assumptions. That's yes. a great um, sort of uh, director of what's going on in the unconscious, the assumptions we make. Yeah. Right. So you meet somebody and there's a lot of ambiguity, but we all have these assumptions. Well, where do those come from? They come from that blueprint in the unconscious. Yeah. So a psychotherapist or a psychoanalyst is somebody who's trained to look for the subtle cues of those assumptions. Yeah, you have a PhD in that, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Mm -hmm. uh, the assumptions, you've tapped on something so important because I catch myself all the time. Rationally, I know I'm good enough. I, right, I, I know course. who I am. Right, right. Uh, it's the subconscious that plays out. If someone doesn't reply when right. you know by text or something, then my exactly. I, have, I actually catch myself thinking, "Oh, they must not like me," or they, you know, it, exactly. Not the truth at all. And uh, dating is is where these assumptions are probably the most rampant, and they they we give them such a runway because mm -hmm. you're meeting somebody that you you don't know much about, and if right. you're getting to know somebody on an intimate level. This is where these assumptions probably wreak the most havoc in our lives because our deep beliefs about ourselves are in play and our beliefs about our deepest emotional needs are at play. And there's so much ambiguity. And yeah. ambiguity is where we project our assumptions. Fascinating, huh? It's, the mind plays tricks on you. Yes. <laughs> so how is one's uh, bonding history and their bonding capacity can you talk about bonding for a little bit and yeah. what that means? Yeah. So bonding is that what we are wired to do. So we are first and foremost social beings. I think that's so important to get. Just knowing that in itself helps 
create some healthy beliefs around attachment and dating and commitment and all of that. Because we are wired to bond with other people. And attachment theory is this scientific theory mm. that studies how we bond. And we have what they call an attachment system, just like you have like a hunger system. Like it's a biologically driven and organized system. And it reacts with these fairly predictable patterns. Attachment theory is the theory that sort of gives this model of how we behave when we are, because we are wired to bond and what we do when that, those needs are frustrated or limited or challenged. Mm. So bonding is uh, so important because that is, uh, I like to think of sort of a, a triangle between what we call our attachment relationships, attachment just bonding, and our self-identity and our ability to emotionally regulate. Okay. So those things, they all work in a very particular synastry. So attachment relationships and your early relationships, that's where you first get a reflection back from another person about who you are. Right. Right? Who does you, your, your mom is probably the first person that you really meet, right? And that, that reflection back in their eyes and your father and your siblings and all these, these intimate attachments, you get a sense of who you are through that mirroring function. We talked a little bit about that. Yes. Um, you know, the mirroring is where we either get an accurate or an inaccurate reflection of who we are. An accurate reflection through mirroring, that's what starts to consolidate a healthy identity. Hmm. And when we are in those attachment relationships is where emotional regulation begins because we, we are not born with the capacity to do that. We, we have to learn that, and we don't learn it without healthy attachments, right. which is really profound if you think about it. So through that, because we co-regulate, we, we are wired to co-regulate emotions, and that's obvious when you think of a baby and a mother or a caregiver, right? The mother is obviously attuned to helping regulate the baby who cries or is cold or hungry. But we we cannot regulate without that interpersonal dimension. Mm. And as adults, we, we then we have two poles, right? So we have the internal self-regulation. We can do things, you know, you can go have have some quiet time or meditate or ski or whatever it is that you do to sort of check in with yourself and regulate. But we also need that interpersonal dimension. Right. We are we are wired to do that through our whole lives. That we co-regulate through understanding and mirroring. Um, and sort of, you know, containing the feelings. Explain mirroring a little bit. So in practical terms, you're a mom and you have a baby. What's a negative and a positive mirroring experience that a mom can share with you? So an, a positive mirroring is literally a neurological event. Okay. That we have what we call mirror neurons in our brain. So say if you're my child, and uh, I think I gave the example the other day, if you drop your ice cream cone and, you know, what are you feeling? You're you're frustrated, you're disappointed. And a positive mirroring experience is just an accurate perception that matches your experience. So if I say, oh, you're so frustrated and you know you really wanted that. And if that's really close to what you're feeling, that's a positive mirroring experience because it matches both in, in word and in affect, right? So like, you know, I have, you have to feel that I get it. It's not just the word. Okay. Um, and a negative, um, there's some fascinating um, videos. They, they put the, the mother's face and the baby's face on the, on, the, on the video screen. And you can see when a baby is appropriately married, they get, they get happy, they get confident, they engage with the caregiver. And a negative mirroring response is when they, you don't get it, you miss the mark. 
Um, the, the profound one that, that's been played a lot is, um, you know, a baby who's frustrated or uncomfortable and they're sort of grimacing and the mom doesn't really want to deal with that for her own reasons and so she starts to smile. You know, it's, it, and you can see the two faces on the screen and they're not uh. attuned. They're not, she's not showing the baby what the baby's feeling. She's giving a, a discordant reflection. Right. And the baby gets more and more frustrated. It's, it's really profound to watch. The baby starts to get dysregulated because they can't understand, they can't locate their feeling. It's, it's discordant, you know, like music that's out of tune. It just feels bad. And the same thing happens when we're adults and we're trying to sit across the dinner table from somebody. Right. You know, if somebody can't, sort of locate what you're feeling and resonate with it on some level, it gets out of tune. It doesn't feel good. Right. It's almost like really paying attention. And, yes. And, right. Right? And then and feeling that connection and, and empathy almost. Empathy. Is, is that, yeah, absolutely. Empathy is a huge part of it. But it's built on, you know, we, we have to be able to pay attention. But if um, we're not able to feel our own feelings then we have a block in that capacity to empathize with the other person. And not being able to, is that because the mother didn't give that empathy? That could be part of is it. Is that the repercussions? That, that absolutely. So one, one scenario would be, okay, you had a mother who just couldn't tolerate frustration. And so then you don't have that capacity in yourself unless you had another reparative experience. So frustration is just something you don't get, you're afraid of, because hmm. you don't have any context, you don't have any understanding for it. So then you're sitting across the table from somebody as an adult, and they're frustrated, and you just, you can't go there. So that's one of the benefits, you talk about being an extraordinary partner. We develop that healthy relationship to our own emotional life. We get a nice, healthy bandwidth. And then when you go to sit across the dinner table with somebody, you're available emotionally. You have that bandwidth. You're, you're not frightened by their frustration or Interesting. Any. Interesting. What if you're not able to... Um, what if the other person isn't empathetic and you're choosing someone that's not empathetic? Well, that, that's not going to feel good. <laughs> right. But what about that? Like, so, your... how, do you, um, how do you recognize that and choose differently, I guess, is my... Uh, well, if you know question. what that feels like. So, first of all, you know, knowing what empathy does feel like and what that nice broad bandwidth feels like and that flexibility. So, if you have that as a baseline that's going to help because right. then you're not then you're going to be able to recognize oh there's not a connection here this person doesn't you know some people are really shut down to all emotions right and some people are, you know they're pretty flexible but they don't want to deal with negative emotions some people are really shut down to positive emotions right. so but if you if you know if you trust that you have that bandwidth in yourself then it's much easier to discern, mm -hmm. okay, I'm sitting across from somebody who just can't go, there. can't go there. But if you haven't really done the work inside yourself to know what your bandwidth is, what's hard for you to go to, then it's hard to tell. You'll kind of get confused. You know it doesn't feel good, right. <laughs> but it will be hard to discern, like, is it me? Is it this person? Do we just not understand each other? Right. So my girlfriend, for example, that can't, mm -hmm. that keeps attracting the emotionally avoidant, mm -hmm. um, what would be your advice to her? Well, first you have to understand, okay, what does that mean to her? So you'd probably start with the attachment history. So looking through this pattern, when you delve into, okay, well, well what, is, what about that is so um, magnetic almost, you know, if you're drawn to it? 
Interesting. And there's, there's a number of potential answers to that question. Why are you choosing it? Yeah, what does it mean to you? For some people, it could be, well, it's safe because as uncomfortable it is, as it is, if somebody's avoiding it, you're not really going to go too far. Mm. You're not really going to have to be vulnerable. Interesting. Um, so it can be unconsciously defense mechanism, even though it hurts. It's like, well, then at least I'm not vulnerable. That makes sense. Or, you know, it could be the belief that you don't really deserve to have your emotional needs attended to. Wow. Right? That's... So, so I, you know, it's not a prescription. Well, it means X, Y, or Z. Right. The, the key is really understanding the pattern of, okay, what, what role did this avoidance have in my past and what meaning did I make of it? What were the beliefs that That's I developed? Right. And those beliefs, usually we perpetuate, we operate on the basis of those beliefs. Amazing. Thank you. I'm glad you repeated that because it's really interesting. So much of our life is subconsciously driven. Enormous. Uh, neurologically, we know this now that, you know, the, the number of connections that our mind can make, our physical mind, consciously, we use like less than 5%. It's wild. Yeah. Ha. That's impressive. Uh, tell us about attunement. What does that mean? So attunement is, I mean, it has to do with empathy. Empathy is a piece of attunement, mirroring, obviously. But attunement is the word that talks about this whole nonverbal and verbal field. So the, the metaphor that I like for attunement is like a dance, like a good dance. Okay. Because when you're dancing with somebody, you know, it's not like a verbal cognitive thing. You have to feel it. You have to be in your body. And, you're, and it's this constant um, movement. Between and both people are sort of constantly responding to each other. It doesn't mean you can't have your own personal experience or hear your own rhythm, and but there's room for both people to sort of listen to their internal music and rhythm. But there's a constant sort of attention to the field between two people, mm. and really um, well-rounded, deep, satisfying attunement. You really have all the senses on board. Nice. It's it's like a really the idea of a bandwidth. It's like the bandwidth is really broad, and so there's a feeling of resonance that yeah. comes with attunement. Like you feel felt, you feel understood, in not a not just a cognitive way. It's not just verbal. That's the key to attunement. Empathy can be verbal. Um, attunement is really a whole body experience. We really feel felt. There's a resonance and there's a a constant flow of information bi-directionally back and forth where people are interested and they're, they're tracking one another yeah. and they're interested in sort of keeping this, this dance um, together. Love that. Yeah. I would assume, and I might be completely wrong, that the female is more uh, actively involved in that and sometimes maybe the male needs to be pulled in a little bit towards That's an interesting idea. So that, I might be wrong. Psycho psychologically, I like to think about the masculine energy and the feminine energy. And, okay. and it's really helpful to think about that way. And as, as humans in a gender, yes, we can have, you know, some people have a lot of feminine energy and some people have a lot of masculine energy. But in that attunement, you actually need both energies. Yes, I would assume. For sure. Yes. Um, and both internally, internally, psychologically, within each of us, we need both of those energies. And in a good attunement, you need both. Because, yeah. yes, the, the feminine principle, the feminine energy is, is more open. It's more emotional in nature. Right. It's more containing, kind of receptive. But if you have too much feminine energy, it's just all wishy-washy. 
It's just, you can go anywhere. It's too, bleh, you um, know? So the masculine energy, you know, it's like the, the drumbeat and the rhythm in the dance, right? You, you need a container. You need some structure. You need some boundary, or you can't have a good attunement. So it really is not um, a feminine um, activity, even though the feminine energy, yes, but you need the feminine, the masculine principle to have a good attunement. That makes sense. How do you promote it? How do you generate that? Attunement? Yes. Well, you start with yourself, really. Okay. You have to be able to tune to your own internal life um, and embodiment. We, you know, if you want to bring that yeah, in here. Um, embodiment is the idea when you're, when you're really living your life sort of from the inside out, not looking at yourself from the outside in. That's what we call dissociative viewpoint. Um, you can't really attune from that place because yeah. attunement, again, is this all sensory, all senses on board kind of experience. So you have to start by being in your body and your senses and connected to your internal life, your emotional life. Um, I think, it, in my opinion, it helps to be connected to your unconscious, have a dialogue with your unconscious, because that's where you're going to become most sort of well-rounded and available internally. So How if you, do you do that? You start from that place. Um, well, therapy is obviously how I help people do that. Yeah. Um, people do it through meditation. is a wonderful practice because it helps develop that patience and that observing aspect. Yes. So you can watch without sort of clinging and avoiding yeah. emotionally. It's a beautiful practice. Um, but anything that helps you be present and helps you at least understand your defenses. You know, we have, we have defenses for a reason. It's suggesting that we just don't have them. But you have to at least know what they are. Hmm. So any practice, any relationship, any activity that helps you understand what your defenses are and why they're there, and you can at least go beyond them. Right. Um, and then you choose wisely who you're attuning to, right? You can't attune with somebody who doesn't have some of that in themselves as well. Nice. What are some other techniques that you recommend to build a healthy relationship? Well, let's see. We, there's a lot of examples. Um, so attunement, one of the, here's a key that I just love about attunement that people in my office tend to find really useful, is um, like you and I are making eye contact right now. And this conversation would probably feel a lot different if we weren't making eye contact. Right. And so that's a lovely um, sort of foundation for any, and you're trying to talk through something that you want to have attunement around, whether it's a challenge or you're just getting to know somebody. You know, you want to have that, the eye contact because attunement happens, it's, again, it's not just a verbal and it's not just a logical thing. And so right. when you bring the senses and the eye, eyes are so profound, mm. um, we, there's so much emotion that's um, processed through eye contact. Sure. So that's a wonderful, simple tip is to remember if you want to tune to somebody, sit across from them, don't sit next to them, mm. look each other in the eye. Yeah. Um, and there's some, and if you want to take that deeper, there's some exercises um, that are really useful towards um, just building an understanding. So you know, talking about your own beliefs, yeah. your beliefs that we, we sort of touched on in the beginning about your identity, about relationships. This isn't um, you know like first date material, but if you're really you know into a relationship with somebody, you want to ask them about this stuff. You know yeah. what what. Um, what were your attachments like and what did you learn from them? Mm. And so you can take that conversation in a million ways, but you want to ask questions. Yeah. 
Um, and you want to develop a format where the asking and the receiving and the listening is sort of patient. So the ground rules are eye contact, one person talks at a time, you kind of pause between, in other words, you know, not trying to keep the tempo somewhat slow is really helpful. Um, and it's a, a, a kind of old-fashioned, simple technique, but it's so profound, is to, to ask the person that you're talking to to tell you what they heard. Yes. Um, and again, this goes way back to Carl Rogers, but it, it's so helpful because you'll find out if you were clear yeah. um, and it's, or if something got in the way of the being heard accurately or somebody else's assumptions jumped in. Oh, that meant, you know, you don't like me or, <laughs> meant, right. you know, you get a chance to actually cut that off before it builds into a whole other so story. True. That's a great technique. It's true. You forget to do it, but it's a good one. Yeah, it's simple and it can <laughs> feel sort of tedious, yeah. um, but it's good to it's practice. Powerful. Yeah. Tell us about your seven modules, your program. So um, this is a, an online course that I've developed. Um, I'm really excited about it because it, it meets a couple of needs that I've come really attached to in the last handful of years in my life. And one of them is just sort of the more Im impressed upon me it is in my own life and my work with my patients that, that attachment is a primary need, right? It's not an accessory. It's not something like we, we are wired for it and we know about the health benefits mm -hmm. of having quality attachments that people who have warmth of attachment it's really it's not the quantity but it's the warmth and the safety that those people are healthier they're happier um, they're more able to learn kids who have a strong attachment or are will do better in school mm. um, it's just the it's the foundation of our mental health and of our resilience and yet we receive no education huh. you know about how does this work what works what doesn't work um, and psychotherapy is a profound tool for anybody who has the energy and the time and sometimes the finances to really participate. But not everybody does or wants to, and I just feel like there needs to be some education about how we, how we bond and why we bond and what we do need to know, what we have to have on board in order to sort of approach that in a healthy way. So these seven modules are meant to sort of guide people through a map of that attachment system. Nice. So we start with the self. We start with your at least a lot of what we've talked about today. How do we how do we actually investigate our attachment history? What do we need to know about it? And what do you do with it right. to know that you're not recreating it mindlessly? How do you actually know that you're doing that? Right. Um, and then we build on that to, you know, getting to know somebody. Like what do you actually need to be thinking about when you get to know somebody? Um, a lot of people find out sometimes decades later, like it I was just chemistry, you know, and we kind of jump blindly into the biggest life decisions we can make. So I try to help people think about, well, what, you, what should you be paying attention to in a courtship or dating or when, when you're getting ready to commit to somebody? What, what is important? Because there are some things that are telling and that will pay off down the road, and there are some things that we know, right. uh, not just um, to randomly, but scientifically, you know, viably understandable <laughs> patterns, things that won't work. Right. And um, we know, even in ways we didn't know 20 years ago, scientifically, why some of these things are patterns, and, and people should know this stuff. 
and then I talk about um, in some of the later modules conflict resolution, the idea that you know healthy couples fight, <laughs> but they fight fairly. Right. And what does that mean? How do you do that? And how do you you know what do you need to know about yourself? And what are the game rules that you should establish with your partner to make sure you're on that track? And we talk about deal breakers and when to get outside help. Um, it's Wonderful. sort of a, I think of it as a topographical map for relationships, sort of from the base layer of yourself and your emotional life building into a long-term commitment. Wonderful. That sounds incredible. Thank you. How do people find that program? It's on my website, relationshipsrewired.com. Yes. yes. Excellent. So we have just one minute left, okay. but um, I'd like to end with a little homework, and that's have okay. my audience put their hand on their chest yeah. and take some deep breaths and then ponder a question that they can, they can journal about afterwards. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned a few questions on your webinar. Okay. What's one in, that comes to mind that really is a powerful question people can think about? Oh, I, I think my favorite one is, you know, think about, so you... If you want to do one, think about one of your primary attachment relationships. And you can do this on all of them if you want. But start with one and ask yourself, what is the belief that I adopted from that relationship? What did I learn? Mm. You know, so, you know, did I learn that I was unworthy of love? Did I learn that my needs are dangerous? Did I learn, you know, those are some examples. But meditate on... What did I adopt into my unconscious belief system about who I am and what I what I expect? Wow, wonderful. Good, my friends. All right, we have come to the end. That went so quickly, but yeah. thank you so much for all your valuable you. knowledge and wisdom. I appreciate you sharing. Um, and as always, you guys, check out aspentalkshealth.com for more information. I'll put up your contact information. And uh, thanks for tuning in, you guys.